two chapter twelve of Amadis of Gaul This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. Recording by Ted Garvin Amadis of Gaul by Vasco de Lopera Translated by Robert Southey Book two Chapter twelve how when king lusarte was at table there came in a strange knight armed at all points and defied the king and all his court and of what passed between him and florestan and how oriana was comforted and amadis found king lusarte was at table the cloths were removed and galaur florestan and agraez were about to take their leave and conduct Corisanda to her island, when there came a strange knight into the palace, all armed except his head and his hands, and with him two squires, and he carried in his hand a letter sealed with five seals, which on his knees he presented to the king, saying, Let this be read, and then I will say for what I am come. The Suarte saw that it was a letter of credence, and bade him speak his errand. Then said the knight, King, I defy thee on the part of Famongomadan, the giant of the boiling lake, Cardodaku, his nephew, giant of the defended mountain, and Madan Fadwil, his marriage brother, the giant of the Vermilion Tower, and for Quadragante, brother of King Abes, and Archelaus, the enchanter, they tell thee that thy death, and the death of all who call themselves thine, is in their hands, for they are coming against thee on King Kildadan's side. Howbeit, if thou wilt give thy daughter Oriana to Madasima, the fair daughter of Famongonomadan, to be her damsel and servant, they will not injure thee, nor be thine enemies, but will give her in marriage, when it is time, to Basagante, Madasima's brother who doth well deserve to be lord of her and thy land. Therefore, king, look to thy choice, such peace or such war. Lisuarte smiled when he began to reply, as one who had set at naught the defiance. Knight, said he, better is a dangerous war than a dishonorable peace. A bad account should I render to him who hath placed me in this high rank, if for lack of heart i should so shamefully debase it tell them i would rather choose war over them all the days of my life and death in that war at last than consent to the peace they offer tell me where i may send a knight to carry them this answer they may be found replied the ambassador in the boiling lake which is in the isle of mongaza i know not the manner of these giants quoth Suarte, whether a knight can go amongst them safely. That, replied he, doubt not, where Don Quadragante is present, no wrong can be committed. I will be his warrant. In God's name, said Lisuarte, now tell me who you are. Landon, the son of Quadragante's sister, we are come to revenge the death of King Abes of Ireland, and greatly it grieves us that we cannot find him who slew him, neither know we whether he be alive or dead. I would you did know him to be alive, and well, all would then be right. I know wherefore you say this, replied Landon. You think him the best knight living, but be I want I may, 
ye shall find me in the battle with King Silicardan, and see what I can do against you. I would rather have you in my service, answered Lesuarte, but there will not be wanting those who will oppose you there. Meantime, Florestan's anger was rising. Knight, said he, I am a stranger in this country, and not vassal to the king, so that there is no quarrel between us for what you have said to him, nor do I undertake it because there are many knights in his household. But you say you seek for Amadis, and cannot find him. That, I believe, is not to your loss. But if it please you to do battle with me, I am Dom Flo I am Don Florestan, his brother. Let it be with this condition. If you are conquered, you shall give over the pursuit of vengeance. If I am slain, your wrath will in part be satisfied. For whatever sorrow you feel for the loss of King Abyss, that and much greater would Amadis endure for my death. Landon replied, Don Florestan, I perceive you have a heart for battle, but I cannot satisfy you now, being bound to return with this embassy on an appointed day, and also having pledged myself to undertake no enterprise before the battle. But if I come from that field alive, I will meet you in the lists. Landon, quoth Florestan, you answer like a good and honorable knight, as you are bound to do. Let it be as you have said. And he gave his gloves and gage to the king, and Landon gave the lappets of his armor, and the day for their combat was fixed for the thirtieth after the battle. The Suarte then sent a knight called Filispino with Landon to carry his reply, and they departed together. When they were gone, the king sent to Galor and Florestan and their cousin Agrayes, you shall see something that will please you. And he sent for his daughter, Leonoretta, to come with her little damsels and dance before him, as she used to do, a thing which he had never ordered since the news that Amadis was lost. She came, and the king said to her, Daughter, sing now the song which Amadis, being your knight, made for your love. So the child and the other young damsels began to sing. Leonor, sweet rose, all other flowers excelling, for thee I feel strange thoughts in me rebelling. I lost my liberty when I did gaze upon those lights which set me in a maze, and of one free am now become a thrall. Put to such pain thou serf'st thy friends with it all, and yet do I esteem this pain a pleasure, endured for thee whom I love out of measure. Leonor, sweet rose, all other flowers excelling, for thee I feel strange thoughts in me rebelling. I little joy in any other sight. My heart is thine, thyself my chief delight. But yet I see the more that I do love. More smart I feel, more pain, more grief I prove. Well, let love rage, though he be angry ever. I'll take my loss for gain, and though I gain never. Leonor, sweet rose, all other flowers excelling. For thee I feel strange thoughts in me rebelling. And though to you I manifest my woes, my martyrdom, my smart, another knows. One unto whom I secretly invoke, who is the cause of this my fire, my smoke, she hath a salve to cure my endless grief, and only let she may yield me some relief. Leonor, sweet rose, all other flowers excelling, for thee I feel strange thoughts in me rebelling.
you should know by what occasion Amadis made this song for the Princess Leonoretta. One day, as he was talking with Queen Brisena, Oriana, Mabilia, and Olinda, told Leonoretta to go and ask Amadis to be her knight, and that he would then serve her and no one else. The little girl went to him and did so, and Amadis, smiling, took her in his arms and placed her on the estrado. Since you would have me be your knight, said he, give me some jewel and token that you hold me for yours. And then she took from her head a gold clasp set with gems, and gave it to him. All began to laugh at seeing how verily she believed the jest, and Amadis, being thus chosen her knight, made for her this song. And when she and her damsels sung it, they were dressed alike, having garlands on their heads, and garments of the same costliest and fashion as Leonoretta wore. She was a fair princess, albeit not so fair as Oriana, who had no peer, and afterwards she became Empress of Rome, and her twelve little damsels were all daughters of counts and noble chiefs. So having sung their song, they knelt before the Suarte, and then returned to the queen. Galor and Florestan and Agrayes then asked the king permission to guard Corisanda home. He took them aside and said, Friends, there are no other three in the world in whom I have the same confidence as in you. This battle is to be the first week in August, and you hear who are coming against me. And they will bring others with them, who are brave and terrible in arms. And they will bring others with them, who are brave and terrible in arms, and are also the nature and blood of the giants. Therefore I request you not to undertake any adventure that may delay you from being there to aid me. For with your aid, and the justice of my cause, I trust in God, my enemies, powerful as they are, will be put to shame. Sir, said they, this command was not needed, as errant knights our wishes to be in danger, to beware, being conquerors, we may win the renown which we seek, or if conquered, come to the end for which we were all born. We will presently return. So they took their leave, and departed with Corisanda. Gandaline, who saw them depart, went to Miraflores, and related to Oriana and Mabilia all that had passed. Now, quoth Oriana, is Corisanda in all happiness, for she had with her Don Florestan, whom she loves. God ever continue her joy, for she is a good lady. And then she herself began to weep and cry, Lord God, let me see Amadis again, if it be but for a day. Gondoline greatly pitied her, but he affected anger and said, Lady, you will make me stay away from Miraflores, for here are we looking for good tidings, and you will make us thus unhappy. Oriana wiped away her tears, do not reproach me, Gandaline. I would do otherwise if I could, but whatever semblance I should put on, my heart is always weeping. But tell me, what will become of the king my father, since Amadis will not be in the battle? He cannot so have hidden himself, replied Gandaline, that such news should not reach him. And though you have forbidden him your sight, yet he may be present there, thinking them to merit pardon for a fault which he never consulted, nor thought to commit. While they were thus communing, while they were thus communing, a little girl came running in, 
Lady, here is the damsel of Denmark, and she brings noble presents for you. At this her heart trembled, and sunk within her, so that she could not speak, and that she was also altogether so agitated as one who expected life or death from the messenger who was coming. Mabilia answered for her, Tell the damsel to come to us alone, that we may speak with her in private. This she said, that there be none to witness Oriana's agitation. But she herself and Gondoline were dismayed, not knowing what was to come. The damsel entered with a cheerful countenance, and kneeling before Oriana gave her a letter. Here, lady, are tidings of joy. I have fulfilled all your commands, read, and see if Amadis have not written it with his own hand. The letter fell from Oriana's hand. She trembled so with exceeding joy. She opened it, and found in it the ring which she had sent by Gondoline to Amadis, the day whereupon he fought with Dardan at Windsor, the which she knew well, and kissed it many times, and said, Blessed be the hour in which thou wert made, that art transferred with such joy from one hand to another. So when she had read the letter, and blessed God with lifted hands for his mercy, she made the damsel relate how she had found him. Greatly were they pleased at her wisdom in leaving a part of the presence with Amadis. Now then, said they, produce the rest before those who are here, and say how you have forgotten the others, that we may send for them. They showed Durin to what part of the garden wall he was to bring Amadis, and he kissed Oriana's hands for sending him upon this errand, which might atone for what unwittingly he had carried before. It was agreed that Mabilia should publicly ask him to go, but he feigned himself little contented at the bidding, and said angrily to Mabilia, For you, lady, I will go, but not for the queen or Oriana, for I have had great hardships in this journey for their pleasure. Friend Durian, said Oriana, you should not upbraid us with your services, so that we shall not thank you for it. Your thanks, replied he, I believe will be worth about as much as my service. However, said he to Mabilia, since you desire it, I will set out to-morrow. He then took leave, and went with Gondolin to the town to sleep, and Gondolin bade him remember him to his cousin Enon, and tell him, said he, to come and see me as soon as he can, for I have much to say to him, and request him while he continues with that night to see if he can learn any news of Amadis. This he said, that Amadis might be the better disguised, and that he might not want a pretext to send Enil away. So Durin mounted his palfrey the next morning, and departed. Chapter 13 How Beltanebros ordered arms to be made, and prepared to see his mistress Oriana, and of the adventures which befell him upon the road. While Beltanebros remained in the nunnery, his health and strength recovered, and he sent Enil to the next town to get arms made for him, a green shield with as many golden lines as it could hold, and to buy him a horse, and a sword and breastplate, the best he could find. In twenty days all was ready, as he had ordered it, and at the end of that time Durin arrived. Beltanebros was right glad to see him, and asked him before Enil, how the damsel was, and wherefore he had returned. 
Durin answered that the damsel commended herself to him, and had sent for two jewels which she had left in her bed, and then he delivered to Enil the bidding of his cousin Gandalin. Who is Gandalin? said Beltenebros. A squire, my cousin, replied Enil, who long time served a knight called Amadis of Gaul. Then Beltenebros took Durin apart to walk with him, and heard the message of Oriana, and also how his brethren were to be in the battle with Celadon, and of the defiance that Famongo Madame had sent, and how he had demanded Oriana to be serving damsel to his daughter, till he should give her in marriage to his son. When he heard this, his flesh shook with exceeding anger, and he resolved in himself, so soon as he had seen his lady, to undertake no adventure till he had found Fomongo Madan, and fought with him a combat to the utterance of what he had dared propose. That night Beltanebros took leave of the nuns, and early the next day, armed in his green armor, he set forth, and he knelt with him carrying his shield and helmet and lance. The day was clear, and he feeling himself in his strength and once more in arms, began to manage his horse so skillfully that Enil said to him, I know not, sir, what the strength of your heart may be, but I never saw a knight appear so well in arms. The worth, quoth Beltanabros, lies in a good heart, not in a good appearance. Happy dole hath he whom God has gifted with both. You have judged the one, judge the other as you shall see it deserves when put to proof. Seven days they travelled without adventure, and Beltanabros, as he drew near, wore his helmet that he might not be known. On the eighth, as they were passing the foot of a mountain, they met a knight upon a large bay horse, so huge in stature, so huge in stature that he appeared to be a giant, and two squires carrying his arms. He cried out with a loud voice to Beltanabros, Stop, Sir Knight, till you have told me what I want to know. Beltanabros looked at the stranger's shield, and seeing three golden flowers in a field of azure, he knew it was Don Quadragante, for he had seen a like shield in the firm island, hanging above all the others, as his who had approached nearest the forbidden chamber. But remembering Famangomadan, he would willingly now have avoided battle, as also because he was on his way to Oriana, and feared lest the great prowess of this knight should cause him some delay. Howbeit he stopped, and bade Enil to give him his arms if they were wanted. God protect you, quoth Enil, he looks to me more like a devil than a knight. He is no devil, quoth Beltanabros, but a right good knight, of whom I have heard heretofore. By this Quadragante was come up, and said to him, Knight, you must tell me if you belong to the household of King Lisuarte. Why ask you? Because I have defied him and all his household, and kill all of them whom I meet. Beltanabras felt his anger rising, and replied, You are one of those who have defied him? I am, and I am he who will do to him, and his all the evil in my power. And who are you? My name is Don Quadragante. Certes, Don Quadragante, notwithstanding your high lineage, and your great prowess in arms, this is a great folly in you to defy the best king of the world. They who undertake more 
than they can affect are rather rash than hardy i am not this king's vassal nor am i of his land but for his goodness my heart is disposed to serve him so that i may account myself among those whom you have defied if you choose battle with me you may have it if not go your way i believe knight said quadragante you speak thus boldly because you know me so little pray you tell me your name they call me beltenebras you will know me by it no better than before for it is a name of no renown but though i am of a far land i have heard that you are seeking amadis of gaul and by what i hear of him it is no loss to you that you cannot find him what quoth quadragante do you prize him whom i hate so much above me know that your death hour is arrived i take thy arms and defend thyself if thou canst i might do it with some doubt against others he replied but can have none in opposing thee who art so full of pride and threats then they ran their course both felt the shock the horse of beltenebros reeled and he himself was wounded at the nipple of his breast quad dragante was unhorsed and hurt in the ribs he rose and ran at beltenebros who did not see him for he was adjusting his helmet and he mortally stabbed his horse beltenebros alighted and went against him sword in hand in great anger there was no courage in this cried he your own horse was strong enough to have finished the battle without this discourtesy the blows fell as thick and loud as though ten knights had been in combat for both put forth all their strength and skill and the fight lasted from the hour of tierce till vespers but then quadragante overcome with fatigue and with the blow that beltenebros gave him on the helmet fell down senseless beltenebros took off his helmet to see if he were dead the air revived him he placed the sword point at his face and said quadragante remember thy soul for thou art a dead man o oh, beltenebros cried he for god's sake let me live for my soul's sake yield thyself vanquished then and promise to fulfil what i command i will fulfil your will to save my life said quadragante but there is no reason wherefore i should confess myself vanquished he is not vanquished who in his defence hath shown no fear doing his utmost till strength and breath fail him and he falls but he who does not do what he could have done for lack of heart you speak well said beltenebros and i like much what i have learned from you give me your hand and your promise then and he called the squires to witness it you shall go forthwith to the court of king lisuarte and remain there till amadis arrives and then you shall pardon him for the death of your brother king albes for they by their own will fought in list together and such revenge even among those of meaner degree ought not to be pursued moreover you shall make null the defiance against king lisuarte and not take arms against those who are in his service all this did quadragante promise against his will and in the fear of death he then ordered his squires to make a litter and remove him and beltenebros mounting the bay horse of his antagonist gave his arms to Enil and departed four damsels who were hawking with a merlin had seen the battle and they now came up and requested beltenebros would go to their castle where he should be honourably welcomed 
for the goodwill which he had manifested to King Lisuarte. He thankfully accepted their hospitality, being sore wearied with the struggle, and accompanied them. They found no other wound than that upon the nipple of his breast, which bled much. Albeit in three days he departed. On the second day at noon, from a hilltop he beheld the city of London, and to the right thereof the castle of Miraflores, where his lady Oriana then abode. Here he stood a while, gazing and devising how he might dispatch Enlil. Do you know this country? said he. Yes, replied Enlil. That is London in the valley. Are we so near? But I will not go to the court till I have won some renown, and deserve to be there. Go you, therefore, and visit your cousin Gandalin, and there you will hear what may be said of me, and when the battle is to be with King Sildadan. But shall I leave you alone? I sometimes go alone, but we will first appoint a place to meet at. They proceeded a little way, and saw three tents pitched by a river side, the middle a rich one, and before it there were knights and damsels sporting. And he saw five shields at the entrance of one tent, and five at another, and ten armed knights. Therefore he turned aside from the road, that he might not joust with them. The knights called out to him to joust. Not now, said he, for you are many and fresh, and I am alone and weary. I believe said the one you are afraid you should lose your horse why should i lose him because he would be won by the man who dismounted you a likelier chance than that you should win his since that is the case said beltinabros i will ride on and secure him while i can and he continued his course the knights cried after him your arms sir cavalier are protected better by a smooth tongue than by a stout heart they will last to be hung over your monument, though you should live three hundred years. Though you should live these hundred years. Think of me as you please, quoth he. Your words will not destroy my worth, such as it is. I would to heaven you would break one lance with me, cried the knight. I would not mount a horse again for a whole year, if you rode to your lodging this night upon that base deed. Good sir, said Beltinabros. That is the very thing I am afraid of, and have therefore got out of the way. Holy Mary, they all exclaimed, what a cowardly knight! He nothing heeding them, rode on to a ford at which he meant to cross, when he heard a cry from behind, Stop, knight! And looking round saw a damsel following him upon a palfrey, richly trepinged. Sir knight, said she, Leonoretta, daughter to King Lasuarte, is in yonder tent and she and all her damsels request that for their sake you will joust with her knights, a thing you will be more bound to do by this request than by their defiance. What, quoth he, is the daughter of the queen there? Ay, truly, I should rather do her service myself than commit enmity against her knights. But at her command I will consent, on condition that they require for me nothing further than the joust. With this answer the damsel returned, and Beltinibros took his arms and rode to an open part of the field to wait for the encounter. The first who came was the one who had such an inclination to win his horse. Beltinibros was pleased that this was the first. He unhorsed him and bade Enlil take his horse, and said, Sir knight, if you keep your word, you will not have another fall for a whole year, for so you promised unless you won my bay. 
but he lay groaning for he had three ribs and a hip broken three others shared the same fortune with less hurt on the last beltenebros broke his lance enil took their horses one by one and tied them to the trees and then beltenebros would have departed but he saw another knight making ready and a squire brought him four lances and said sir leonoretta sends you these lances bid you do your duty with them against the other knights since you have overthrown their companions for her sake said he who is daughter to so good a king i will do what she requires but for her knights i will do nothing for they are discourteous to make knights who are travelling joust against their will so he took a lance and one after the other dismounted all the rest only the last endured two encounters and fell not till the third for he was the coran of the perilous bridge and was one of the good jousters in great britain when beltenebros had finished he sent all the knights that he had won to leonetta and bade him tell her knights to be more courteous to strangers or else to joust better for they might find a knight who would make them go afoot the knights remained greatly abashed if amadis were alive and well quoth nicoran verily i should say this were he for i know no other who would have left us thus it is not he said gadiseo some of us should have known him and he would not have jousted with us being his friends giantes the nephew of king lasuarte who was one of them replied would it were amadis our designer would be well gained but be he who he may god prosper him wherever he goes for he won our horses like a good knight and like a good knight restored them curse him quoth lasamor he has broken my hip and my ribs but it was my own fault beltenebros went on satisfied with his success and admiring the lance which he held for it was a good one about a quarter of a league gone he saw a chapel overbowered with trees and there he determined to alight for the sake of prayer and because the great heat and the exercise of jousting had made him athirst at the chapel door were three palfreys equipped for women and two for squires he went in but there was no one there and commended himself from his heart to god and the virgin as he was coming out he saw the three damsels and their squires sitting under the trees beside a fountain and made up to them that he might drink but neither of them did he know knight said they are you of king lasuarte's household i would quoth he i were so good a knight as to be approved in such a company but whither go ye to miraflores to see our aunt who is abbess there and to see oriana the princess but we are waiting here till the heat of the day be over in god's name quoth he and i will keep you company till it be time to travel how is this fountain called we know not but there is one in yonder valley by those great trees there which is called the fountain of the three channels he knew it better than they for he had often passed it when hunting and there he determined to fix a meeting place with an ill whom he wished to send away while he went to his lady presently while they were thus talking there came along the road which beltenebros had passed a wagon drawn by twelve palfreys and on it were two dwarfs who drove there were many knights in chains in the wagon and their shields were hanging at the side and many damsels and girls among them weeping and lamenting loudly before it went a giant so great that he was fearful to behold he rode a huge black horse and he was armed with plates of steel and his helmet bro and his helmet shone bright and in his hand he had a boar spear 
whose point was a full arm's length long. Behind the wagon was another giant, who appeared more huge and terrible than the first. The damsels, seeing them, were greatly terrified, and hid themselves among the trees. Presently the giant who rode foremost turned to the dwarfs, and cried, I will cut you to a thousand pieces if you suffer these girls to shed their own blood, for I mean to do sacrifice with it to my God, whom I adore. When Beltenebros heard this, he knew it was Fomongomanadam, for he had accustomed to sacrifice damsels to an idol in the boiling lake, by whose advice and words he was guided in everything. And that sacrifice used to content his God, being the wicked enemy, who is satisfied with such wickedness. At this time Beltenebros did not wish to encounter him, because he expected to be that night with Oriana, and also because his joust with the ten knights had wearied him. But he knew the knights in the wagon, and saw that Leonoretta and her damsels were there, for Famangomadan, who always took his wagon with him, to carry away all he could find, had seized them in their tents shortly after their encounter. Immediately he mounted, and called to Enil for his arms. But Enil said, Let those devils pass by first. Give me, quoth Beltenebros, I shall try God's mercy before they pass, to see if I can redress this villainy. Oh, sir, cried the squire, why have you so little compassion upon your own youth? If the best twenty knights of King Lasuarte's court were there, they would not venture to attack them. Care not thou for that, replied his master. If I let them pass without doing my best, I should be unworthy to appear among good men. You shall see my fortune. Enel gave him his arms, weeping, and Beltenebros then descended the sloping ground to meet them. He looked toward Melaflores as he went, and said, O Oriana, my lady, never did I attempt adventure confiding in my own courage, but in you, my gentle lady, assist me now in this great need. He felt his full strength now, and all fear was gone, and he cried out to the dwarfs to stop. When the giant heard him, he came towards him with such a rage that smoke came through the visor of his helmet, and he shook his boar spear with such force that its ends almost met. Unhappy wretch, cried he, who gave thee boldness enough to dare appear before me. That lord, quoth Belsinabros, whom thou hast offended, will give me strength today to break thy pride. Come on, come on, cried the giant, and see if his power can protect thee from mine. Beltenebros fitted the lance under his arm, and ran against him full speed. He smote him up below the waist with such exceeding force that the spear burst through the plates of steel, and ran through him, even so as to strike the saddle behind, that the girths broke and he fell with the saddle, the broken lance remaining in him. His boar spear had taken effect upon the horse of Beltenebros, and mortally wounded him. The knight leapt off and drew his sword. The giant rose up, so enraged that fire came from him, and he plucked the lance from his wound, and threw it at Beltenebros so forcibly, that if the shield had not protected his helmet, it would have driven him to the ground. But his own bowels came out with the weapon, and he fell, crying, Help, Bazagante, I am slain. At this Bazagante came up as fast as his horse could carry him. He had a steel axe in his hand, and with this he thought to have cut his enemy in two. But Beltenebros avoided the blow, and at the same time struck at the giant's horse. The stroke fell short, but the end of his sword cut through the stirrup leather, and cut the leg also half through. The giant in his fury did not feel the wound, though he missed the stirrup. He turned and raised his axe again. 
Beltenebros had taken the shield from his neck, and was holding it by the thongs. The axe fell on it, and pierced in, and drove it from his hands to the ground. Beltenebros had made another stroke. The sword wounded Basagante's arm, and falling below upon the plates of fine steel, broke, so that only the handle remained in his hand. Not for this was he a whit dismayed. He saw the knight could not pluck his axe from the shield, and he ran and caught it by the handle also. Both struggled. It was on that side where the stirrup had been cut away, so that Basagante lost his balance. The horse started and he fell, and Beltenebros got the battle-axe. The giant drew his sword in great fury, and would have ran at the knight, but the nerves of his legs were cut through. He fell upon one knee, and Beltenebros smote him on the helmet, so that the laces burst and it fell off. He, seeing his enemy so near, thought with his sword, which was very long, to smite off his head. The blow was aimed too high. It cut off the whole crown of the helmet, and cut away the hair with it. Beltenebros drew back. The helmet fell over his head upon his shoulders, and Leonoretta and the damsels, who were on their knees in the wagon, praying to God to deliver them, tore their hair and began to shriek and call upon the virgin, thinking he was surely slain. He himself put up his hand to feel if he were wounded to death, but feeling no harm, made again at the giant, whose sword falling upon a stone in the last blow had broken. Basagante's heart failed him now. He made one stroke more, and cut him slightly in the leg with a broken sword. But Beltenebros let drive the battle-axe at his head. It cut away the ear, and the cheek, and the jaw, and Basagante fell, writhing in the agony of death. At this time, Fomon Gomadan had taken off his helmet, and was holding his hands upon his wound to check the blood. When he saw his son slain, he began to blaspheme God and his mother, Holy Mary, saying that he did not so much grieve to die as that he could destroy their monasteries and churches, because they had suffered him his son to be conquered by one night. Beltenebros was then upon his knees, returning thanks to God, when he heard the blasphemer. He exclaimed, Accursed of God and of his blessed mother, now shalt thou suffer for thy cruelties. Pray to thine idol, that, as thou hast shed so much blood before him, he may stop this blood of thine from flowing out with thy life. The giant continued to curse God and his saints. Then Beltenebros plucked the boar spear from the horse's body, and thrust it into the mouth of Famongomadon, and nailed him backward to the earth. He then put on Basagante's helmet, that he might not be known, and mounting the other's horse, rode up to the wagon, and broke the chains of all who were prisoners therein. And he besought them to carry the bodies of the giants to King Lesuarte, and say they were sent him by a strange knight called Beltenebros and he begged the princess to permit him to take the black horse of Famongomandan, because it was a strong and handsome horse, and he would ride him in the battle against King Sildadan. The bodies of the giants were so huge that they were obliged to bend their knees to lay them in the wagon. Leonoretta and her damsels made garlands for their heads, and being right joyful for their deliverance, entered London singing in triumph. Much was King Lesuarte astonished at their adventure, and the more for Quadragante had already presented himself on the part of Beltenebros, of whom nothing else was known, except what Corisanda had related. I would he were among us, said the king. I would not lose him for anything that he should ask, and I could not grant. End of chapter 13